The first thing is this. Let's take the typical account that people are referring to here. The invasion or the entry into Canaan by Joshua and the question of getting rid of all the inhabitants and so on. And people say there's genocide, it's awful, God commanded it, etc., etc. Now we judge it. Where do we get the morality with which we judge it? In the very book that describes it, the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. It's not in some peripheral, obscure part of the Bible. This account of what happened is dead in the middle of a book that sets up the morality with which we condemn it. Now that ought to strike you as interesting because it tells me immediately, of course, that the Bible itself is not ashamed of putting the two things together. So maybe I'd need to think a little bit more about it. What is going on? The second point to observe is this, that God is not treating the Israelites as his blue-eyed boys who can do no wrong because he points out to them, if you behave like these people have done, you will suffer the same fate. And of course they did. Point number three is that 400 years before it happened, God told a man of Abraham, of whom you've heard, that his descendants would stay in a land that was not their own, that is Egypt, for 400 years, and then they would come up. And the delay is caused by what? By the fact, according to the text, that the iniquity, the sin, the violence of the Amorites is not yet full, so that the entry of Joshua into the land coincided with the judgment of God on the horrific practices, including child sacrifice and every conceivable thing, of the Amorites. And the reading of the original history shows you that it was God's mercy that he didn't intervene any earlier. And the next point is that as we look at it and ask ourselves the question, what is going on here? Because in this book, there's not only the morality that we use to condemn the action, there are the first humanitarian rules of war in the very same book. And it's worth reading them. You sue for peace wherever possible. You don't destroy the crops. You don't kill the women and the children and all the rest of it, all in there. The first humanitarian rules of war in the very book that tells you what happened. So now you've got a very interesting problem if you take the text seriously. You've got to ask what the phrase is, kill all of them. What does it mean? Because in some chapters you find it seven or eight times over, like a technical phrase. And when you meet that, you need to be very careful. For instance, a trivial example of this is, all Israel came to the funeral of King Solomon. Well, there are lots of them in bed with the flu and some of them on holiday and all the rest of it. Like we would say, the whole of England came to the funeral of Princess Diana. What is that saying? It is, of course, deliberate hyperbole that everybody recognizes. Now, the command appears to say, wipe the whole city out. Did that happen historically? The answer is no, and it can be determined within the text itself. All those cities remained with populations in them. So they can't have been completely wiped out. And so certain scholars, notably Nicholas Woltersdorf and others like him, who have taken the text seriously, putting that all together, have come to the conclusion that the reason that the book itself doesn't say how awful the whole thing was is that it was done within the parameters that are set by the rest of the book. And what the phrase, wipe them all out, is the kind of thing you might do at an ice hockey match. Are the Maple Leafs an ice hockey team? <laughs> Are they? Are they? <laughs> so, you're shouting for them, and you're calling for them, wipe them out, kill a lot of them, massacre them. Don't you do that? We do it at rugby matches. You know, when it's the Irish against the English, give them it, wipe them out, slaughter the whole lot of them. But what do we mean? Win, that's what we mean. Now, if we do that in ordinary situations, there's an argument 
for Scripture using technical phrases to do the same thing. Now, of course, that's only my suggestion. And uh, it's not my suggestion, it's suggestions of others. But I'm not sure that we can just write this down as genocide and all the rest of it at all. But now, I'll go round the other side. And I say, when you've done all of that, you're still left unsatisfied for the reasons I gave you in my talk. We're still facing the fact that not the relatively few women and children, if there were any at all, that were killed then, but the many who've died since I started the lecture, what are you going to say about them? It doesn't solve that problem, you see. And that's why I come back to the fact of the big question for me, ladies and gentlemen, is granted that we see this ragged thing that we cannot cope with, it's overwhelming. Are there any grounds for trusting God with it? Now, that's a very daring question to ask and an equally daring question to try to answer. But it's the only way I can begin to see a way in. Because when you've settled, if you can, the whole problem of the Old Testament, you still have to deal with what's happening right now. So that's my initial approach um, to that question.